welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen. Amen. I'm excited to be with, uh, with you all this morning. I know things are a little different as we had to kind of um, call an audible uh, for this morning. And so as Pastor Vern said, we are uh, praying for Pastor E and his family and our sister, uh, dear sister Yvette, um, who is already immunocompromised. And so just be praying for the family because uh, they, you know, with Pastor E um, uh, being positive for COVID, there's a lot of implications for the family. So we want to make sure that um, the kids are safe, that, that our sister Yvette is safe. And so be praying for them. Um, and so, and, and also anyone else who may be experiencing the effects of COVID, whether having uh, COVID themselves or experiencing the difficulty of having, uh, going through a holiday uh, and maybe losing a family or friend uh, in, those, in these last couple of years due to COVID. Uh, and so we're, we're praying for, for all of you, praying that you guys had a, a happy and healthy um, holiday and for those who are grieving for various reasons during the holiday seasons our prayers uh, and, and and the comfort of our God is is with you uh, you, you are in um, in our thoughts uh, one thing I want to do before we jump into is um, I, I just want to give a special shout out to uh, the whole team that's in the building uh, today from our media team who's recording uh, and uh, doing the sound, our, our band and our worship team uh, and anybody else who's in the building. Uh, man, these, these people are tireless uh, when it comes to serving God's people and his church uh, and the flexibility that they have allowed us to have when we've had to call audibles at the last minute uh, has been incredibly, incredibly encouraging. And so um, if you know any of them who are here today, send them a text and just appreciate them, love on them, thank them for, uh, for their service. So I want to thank you guys for being here and, uh, and for serving, serving us well. So uh, with that being said, why don't you grab your Bible, uh, your, your, your tablet, your, your, your phone, uh, whatever you got, and meet me in the book of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And I know all pastors say that they're not going to be before you long. So I don't know how much you guys believe that when we say it. Um, but I'll say I'll try, amen, somebody, to not be before you long. Mark chapter 6. Beginning at verse 1, it should be on the screen if you're not there. Here's, here's what the word of the Lord says. And he left there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said, and what is this wisdom that has been given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives and in his household. 
He was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. If I can tag our text for this morning, I simply want to say when your distance disrupts your devotion. When your distance disrupts your devotion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have, the privilege that we have to come before you through your word. Would you speak to us now? Speak to us and encourage our hearts. Convict us where, where it's needed, O oh God. Help us to see in your word that proximity is not the only thing that matters. But help us to pursue intimacy with you, O oh God, we pray. In the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When your distance disrupts your devotion. Um, you know, I, I have a few pet peeves. I don't want to say quite a few, but you know, I think all of us have our little things that, that perturb us uh, here and there. Uh, and so I guess you can call it a, a pet peeve, but uh, one, one of the things that frustrates me, uh, and it doesn't happen too often, but when it does, it just is something about it that just gets under my skin. There, there is nothing more frustrating than when people put you in a box because they think they know who you are. I mean, it, you know, we, we you know, let's, let's be honest here. We can have an honest conversation, right, right, right Minister Greg? We can, we, we can have an honest conversation. Uh, we, we all have blind spots. You know, it's part, it's part of the human experience. I, there are things about myself that I've either deceived myself into believing or maybe I just don't see it like this. That's part of the human experience, right? But I, but I think generally, especially just, you know, being a pastor and talking with people and uh, uh, shepherding people and caring for people, I, I generally think that people tend to know who they are. To a relative degree, I think people are aware of their strengths and weaknesses more than they're sometimes willing to admit. And so, you know, we know for the most part when someone else has assessed us wrongly, right? I mean, I, there, there are always outliers to this, right? There, there's always an outlier to what I'm saying. But generally, if, we, if somebody assesses us wrongly, we tend to have a good understanding uh, when that happens. But, but, but it frustrates me when people think they know who I am because they knew my family growing up, yeah. <laughs> right? Or because we rode bikes together when we were 11. That's 25 years ago. I'm aging myself, but oh, 25 years ago, right? It could even be a sibling that you grew up with, but you haven't been close to in your adult life. But the assumption is made that because they knew you at a certain point in your life that you haven't changed. That the person that they knew is who you'll always be. And so the problem is it creates a false intimacy based on a perceived closeness that doesn't exist that overstates the knowledge that they think they have of an individual. And so how does that relate to our text this morning? Well, I'll say this is my first and only point, and then I'm going to sit down so y'all can go back and get some leftovers if you have any left. First and only point, maintaining a close proximity to Jesus Devoid of intimacy produces a superficial relationship. Did you hear me? Uh, 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 maintaining a close proximity to Jesus, devoid of intimacy, 
produces a superficial relationship. So the text says that Jesus left where he was, which was near Capernaum, and came back to his hometown, to his old stomping grounds, and he had his boys with him. He had the disciples with him, uh, and he shows up to Nazareth. And as he comes back to Nazareth, Jesus does something uh, that, that is often frequent, that we see frequently throughout the Gospels, which is when he goes into a city, he normally makes a habit of stopping on the Sabbath to teach in the synagogue. And so Jesus does the same thing when he comes back home to Nazareth is when the Sabbath comes up, where do we find Jesus at? We find him yet again in the synagogue doing what? Doing some teaching. The interesting thing is that, that Jesus has probably spent plenty Sabbaths in the synagogue in Nazareth, in his hometown. Growing up in Jewish culture and custom, trying to follow the law, they would have been going to the synagogue on a regular basis. So this was not uh, unfamiliar to Jesus. What makes this unique is that this might have been Jesus' first time back home going to a synagogue once his teaching ministry had begun. Because we see him going out into the wilderness and being tempted by Satan, and then he, he gets baptized, and, and then he goes to Capernaum, which Capernaum and Nazareth are both in the region of Galilee, um, and so they're not necessarily far, but they're also not necessarily close. Uh, and so he's in the region, and he's going around preaching and teaching, and he picks up his disciples along the way, and then eventually he makes his way back to Nazareth, and we find him in the synagogue teaching. And there was something about how Jesus taught that always shut the house down. Like, like Jesus was a preacher's preacher. Like, like Jesus was the type of preacher that people came out to see and came out to hear. Like you, you didn't skip Sunday when Jesus was preaching because you knew Jesus was going to bring a sure enough word. And now, how, how do we know that Jesus was a preacher's preacher? Because you can look back at Matthew chapter 7 and, and, and Mark chapter 1 here at the beginning of this, of this book. And, and when Jesus teaches in the synagogue, we see a familiar response from the people. And it says that he was teaching as one with authority. Now, they were used to teaching. It's not like they hadn't heard teaching before. You know, they had the scribes and they had the Pharisees. There were plenty of religious leaders and groups that were teaching them thing about, things about God and what it looked like to be in close relationship with God and, and follow the law. But there was something about the way that Jesus taught it that, 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 that just caught them off guard. Like, like they got in there and heard Jesus and it was like, man, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. Like he teaches as one who's not trying to just merely interpret the law, he's teaching as one who has the authority to give the law. And so there was something unique about how Jesus was teaching. And so the people respond very similar uh, here in this text in chapter 6 that they did in Mark chapter 1 when he was in Capernaum. And, 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 and it's probably one of those similar passages in, in, in Matthew chapter 7. But, but it says that after Jesus teached or while he was Teaching, it says that many who heard him that were there at the synagogue, they were astonished by his teaching and, and so astonished that they said, where did this man get these things? And, 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 and the, 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 the reason that they were so astonished uh, or, or, or the fact that they were astonished prompted some questions in their mind. 
right? They said, they, they said well, he's, he's teaching in a way that's not familiar to us. And so it caused them to ask some secondary questions. And so they, they began to ask questions about his doctrine and his wisdom and the power that he had exhibited elsewhere in the performing of miracles. But, but, but it's the questions that they're asking are in the sense of they're acknowledging that these things exist. Now, now you got to stay here with me, right? They're hearing Jesus teach, and they're astonished by his teaching, and then they're acknowledging that, that he has certain characteristics that affirm the type of teaching of why they're astonished. What, what do they say? They said, what is this wisdom that has been given to him, right? So what, what does that tell us? That tells us that they're affirming that the way that Jesus is teaching is a certain type of wisdom that, wisdom that they're unaccustomed to. But guess what they're doing? They're affirming he got wisdom. Right. right? The way that they're teaching, they're saying, Jesus got wisdom? Where'd he get this from? Right? Now, they ain't talking about just regular people wisdom. Right? They talking about, they, it, there's a sense here where there's something special about Jesus in terms of how he's teaching and instructing that they know that there's something different about him, which is why they can state the obvious. This dude got wisdom. Where did he get it from? But they don't stop there. Then they also say, but, but hold on. How is he doing these miracles by his hand? So not only does he have wisdom, not only is he shutting the house down while he teaches, but it's clear and evident that they can affirm the fact that Jesus is actually doing legitimate miracles among them. And the reason that they're so shocked by this, that they're so astonished, is because Jesus had not been schooled in the rabbinic fashion or trained, but, uh, or rather, but he was trained as a, a manual laborer, right? They acknowledge that later on. He was a carpenter. And so had Jesus went to school as a rabbi, had he been trained up uh, amongst the Pharisees like the Apostle Paul was, maybe they wouldn't have been as caught off guard. Right. But but Jesus grew up where? right here in Nazareth, in his hometown. And so they they knew what Jesus was trained in, which was what? Carpentry. He worked with his hands. He, he built things. Now, I'm not saying that that's better than anything else or it's worse than anything else. It's just a stated fact that Jesus was the son of a carpenter who who also himself grew up learning how to do manual labor. Right. And so he would not have been thought to be one of the types of people that would have been educated enough to come into the synagogue and be able to shut the house down. Right. And yet he does that. And so they're caught off guard because they're they're thinking to themselves, well, he didn't go to seminary. How can he teach like this? And he ain't got no seminary degree. He, he went to ITT Tech. And he got the nerve to come up here after graduating from ITT Tech and preach. And so they were, they were, they were caught off guard. And we, we know it because they, they, they say, you know, you know one, of the things, one of the things they do to discredit Jesus' teaching is they, they, start to, they, they start to bring up things that they know about his family. Right? Like his, his immediate family was was well known to, to the villagers who, 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 who had judged that there was nothing 
extraordinary about them that would have led them to expect something unusual from Jesus. Well, he came from a working class family. So why should we expect anything from Jesus's life other than working class, other than carpentry? And so they say, isn't he just a carpenter? And so this, this is, you might think that this is just a fact. Like, oh, well, yeah, they're just saying he's, they're stating the obvious, that he's just a carpenter. But, but really what they're saying is that, he, is he not a common worker with his hands just like the rest of us? And so what, what they were saying was, because Jesus thinks he can teach the Bible, he thinks he's better than us. Oh, he got up here and, and spat up. Yeah, what he's saying sounds good. I, I can agree that it's wise, and I, I know that he's doing some miracles, but he ain't better than me. Jesus ain't no better than me. I work with my hands. He work with his hands, too. We both, we both put our sandals on the same way. And so they, 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 they felt some type of way. But look, look what else they, they say in verse 3. In verse 3, they say, isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Now, now if we skip over this, we'll miss how, um, how much of a diss this is. Right? Because this phrase... The son of Mary was like a sneak diss because it was it was contrary to Jewish custom to describe a man as the son of his mother. See, one one of the few places we see this in the Bible is in Judges chapter 11, verse one. And who was that talking about? Y'all might know the y'all might not know the story of Jephthah, but but it, but Jephthah was born from a prostitute and was kicked out of of the tribes of Israel because his mother was a prostitute. And so they called him by his mother's name to show that he was an outcast, to show that he was illegitimate. Now, if you read that story, you'll find out that they actually went to help him. They, they went and asked him for some help, right? Like to save them from, from some of their enemies. Like, listen, if you, if you don't think the Bible talk about how God uses thugs, go, go read Jephthah's story. Because Jeff, Jephthah was a short enough thug. I'm, I'm going already. Let me get back to the text. But, 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 but they tried to sneak diss him, and, 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 and it shows us that the rumors about the possible illegitimacy of Jesus' birth had probably already spread around the town. Right? We know this when we talk about when we get into Advent series and we start talking about Matthew chapter 1 and, and, uh, and, and Luke chapter 1 and 2. And, and it talks about how, uh, you know, the, the spirit of God, you know, uh, uh, put the seed into, into Mary's womb and then the baby was born and Joseph was going to divorce her and, and all this stuff. But instead, he, he didn't want to, you know, get her killed. And so he, he was like, no, I'm going to put her away quietly. And then the angel showed up to Joseph and all this stuff. But Mary was still pregnant. And everybody knew that Mary and Joseph hadn't got down to the get down. And so they knew something was going on. So they probably weren't around the town that Jesus was illegitimate. And so when they, when they say this to Jesus, oh, they done offended Jesus. Uh, they, they done got offended by Jesus now. So what, what, what do you do when you get offended? You try to sneak this somebody. You try to hit them below the belt where you think it'll hurt. And so they say, oh, ain't, ain't he Mary's son? Not Joseph's son. Ain't he Mary's son? But this rhetorical question from the people indicates that they only knew Jesus in a superficial way. And for them, because of his natural origins, right, because of his, his natural birth and his having a human family and human interactions and a human job, because of those things that they were aware of, they saw no, they saw no reason to believe that Jesus possessed anything that would say that God's hand was on him. And so they were offended by him. The Bible says. 
But it's interesting. It's interesting that their first impressions of astonishment, right? The Bible says, they, you know, he came and teached in the synagogue and the people were astonished, right? And so it's interesting that their first response of astonishment quickly turns into resentment when they recall Jesus' earlier vocation and standing in Nazareth in spite of what they heard and saw. You see what I'm saying? They immediately dismissed his wisdom and the miracles because of their relative closeness to him. So they can say in one breath, man, he got wisdom. Man, he's doing miracles. And in the very next breath, they can say, man, but this is just Jesus, though. We know Jesus. We know his family. We know where his family from. Ain't nothing special about him. Listen to me. It's a sad day when you can constantly be around sound biblical teaching and see the clear and evident work of God among you and it still not result in the conforming of your mind and the transformation of your heart. Listen, at the very least, it was clear that God was using him in a unique way, right? I mean, I, I, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But at the very least, if you can affirm like that somebody's doing miracles and they have great wisdom, at the very least, you can say, well, God, like, I might not believe he's God, but, but maybe I believe God's using him. Right? Isn't this what John said or Jesus said in John chapter 10 as he's arguing with the people and he says, he says, me and my father are one. And they tried to stone him. Right? And what was Jesus' response? He says, he says what, what exactly are you stoning me for? And he said, because, because you, being a man, make yourself equal with God. Well, and he says, well, listen, even if you don't want to believe my words, believe the works. The works speak for themselves. Right? The fact that I'm doing miracles all over the place, doesn't that speak to a, a certain unique relationship that I might have with God? That if you don't want to even believe my, my, my words, at least believe the works. Because the works point to the words. And so here is, it's, it's almost like, it's like, you know, at the very least, you got to believe the fact that you, you already acknowledged he doing miracles. For some reason, they couldn't acknowledge that Jesus had extraordinary wisdom and legitimately performed miracles and yet still deny the authority of his teaching. But why? Why? What, 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 what would cause somebody to acknowledge the uniqueness of who Jesus is? And what he's done. And still disregard him. It's because intimate knowledge of God's word. Of God. That, that mind you only comes through proximity. Causes you to confront the holiness of God. Which results in denying the aseity of you. I, I know I just used a big word right there. Or a ten cent word. Listen. All that means is self-sufficiency. So when you confront the holiness of God, guess what you got to do? You got to deny yourself the right to believe that you can do what you want. It just means that you don't have the right to live on your terms. How is it possible to come face to face with the risen Savior, commune with him in his word, and walk away unchanged? What is it that keeps us from a right response 
to being in the holiness of God's presence. Didn't Pastor Byrne preach about this a couple weeks ago, Isaiah chapter 6? What, what is it that, if, if I can be honest, I, I, I personally think it's impossible to genuinely encounter the holiness of God and leave unchanged. But here's, here, here's a thought. Can I, can I share a thought with you? As I was thinking about this, and I kept asking myself the question, why is it, though, that so many people seem to be in close proximity to God and yet remain unchanged? And as I kept pondering this question, something just dropped on me. And, and I'm, just, I'm just pondering. I'm not saying that this is absolutely true, though I think there might be some truth to it. And, and it's this. Could it be that we've systematically set up our lives to detour any possibilities of an encounter with God? I'll make it plain. Let me make it plain for you. Y'all ever had somebody owe y'all money? You know, like, you never had problems getting in touch with them <laughs> till they owed you money. My God. <laughs> Talk about it. You know, play, places you would always run into them at. You never catch them at no more. No. They don't respond to your cash app or Venmo requests. <laughs> don't invite you no more, Jesus. It's as if they disappeared off the planet. And it's funny because it seems like everybody has seen them but you. Wow. Because they know the places to stay away from to ensure that they won't encounter you until they're ready. Wow. Ain't that how we treat God in his word, though? Oh we, we live any old type of way, either guilt-free or guilty, and just detour all the places we might run into God's holiness. Some of us get just close enough to God and his word to receive a word that for some reason always ends in encouragement but never transformation. You, you know, I, 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 I don't want to be general. I don't want to be vague. You know, sometimes you got to be specific so people can understand what you're trying to say. So I'll give you some examples. You know, it's like quoting scripture but cussing on Instagram. It's like, it's like dressing modestly, but regularly giving up the goods. It's like being a willing servant at home. What? I mean, or, or a willing servant in church, yeah. but absent at home. Being a forgiver of your friends, but contentious in your marriage. Must I go on? Y'all get the point. If we're honest, far too many of us who show up on Sunday, even among those of us who serve, have painted a picture of Jesus in our minds based on who we want him to be and not who he says he is. That is far more tolerant of sin and dysfunction because that Jesus never demands us to grow up. He never demands us to change. And so too many of our mental and emotional pictures don't include the Jesus that says, go and sin no more. Okay. 
And so Jesus, these people in his hometown, when Jesus showed up and he started teaching, and they had heard about the miracles he had done, but they saw firsthand his wisdom, they, they just, they couldn't get over the fact that even though it was evident that God was at work in and through him, at the very least, they couldn't get over the fact that what they knew about him was nothing special. And so in their minds, instead of asking further questions to see if there was something missing in who they created him to be in their minds, they assumed that he was trying to make himself better than them. But let's be, I mean, which he, he is. And so they got offended. And they couldn't, they couldn't even see and embrace what he was doing and what he was here for because they were so concerned about the fact that they were familiar enough with him. Can I, can I ask this question? Are you so familiar with God and his word because of your proximity that you're no longer being changed by it? Do you quote so much scripture that it no longer impresses you anymore? Are you unaffected by the clear and evident work that God is doing in the world? Because you're so close. You've been so close for so long. That devotion, true devotion, true intimacy is no longer fun, exciting. So it's made us lethargic and apathetic. And we're coasting. Coasting. Jesus responds to this Offense, which they verbalize, by saying a prophet's not without honor anywhere else. Anywhere else I go, they show me love. Now, I'm not saying they always do what I tell them to do, but, but they know that God is doing something with me and through me. They know that there's something special about me. Right? Not that Jesus, he don't, need, he don't need us to acknowledge his holiness. Right? That's when we get back to that word of saying Right? God don't need us. Right? That's the difference between our God and like Greek mythology and some of the other guys like that need our worship to do stuff. God don't need us. He, he's God whether we acknowledge him or not. But he's saying, he's saying, man, why is it that when I come home to the people that should be showing me some love, that, that I get rejected. And it's, it's interesting, in, the, in this passage, it, it gives us a glimpse, it gives us a little preview into the, the ultimate rejection by Israel that is coming. That there will be a time where Jesus will be rejected by his own. Right? What, 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 well, even, 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 even Lil Boosie, even Lil Boosie said, said something similar. Right, Lil Boosie, I, y'all, y'all, go look up Lil Boosie if you don't know who he is. But 
Lil Boosie said, he said, man, wherever you're from, you get hated on. Right? But they, they, listen, even John, John, John said this, right? And, and it points to the ultimate rejection. Jesus goes to his hometown, he's rejected. It's a clear picture, or it gives us a picture of what it's going to be like when, when, when his ultimate rejection comes at the cross. And John writes, he says, but, but he was in the world. Before chapter, verse, chapter 1, verse, verse 10, earlier, it talks about this light that has come into the world. And it says, but he was in the world, and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. The world couldn't see him for who he was. Could you imagine creating something and it, creation not recognizing its maker? They says he came to his own. Right? Like, like, like creation couldn't recognize him, but he came down. Came close, intimate to his own and his own people did not even receive him. But, but here's... here's Here's the hope of the gospel. This is why I love this passage, because it, it, like, this is the gospel message wrapped up in, in two verses, right? And it, and it goes beyond just ethnic Israel and includes all of those who would believe by faith. This is what John writes in chapter and verse 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, right? He gave them the right. Listen, to that. This, is, this is legal language. To all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be called children of God, yeah. right? To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And so, listen, all I want to tell you today is that I want us to be careful of overestimating our intimacy with God just because we're in proximal distance to the things of God. Guess who else was close to Jesus? Jesus. Judas. I mean, literally, like, walked with Jesus. Like, I ain't talking about, like, spiritually close to Jesus, but, like, like he walked with Jesus. It's possible, people of God, men and women of God, to be close to the things of God and remain unchanged. And I don't want that for you. And he doesn't want that. So listen, I'm, I'm going to end with this, and I, I promise I'm going to sit down. I told you it wasn't going to be long. I, I, here, are, here are five things, and this is not an exhaustive list. It's not. There, I could have added a, a million more things to this list. But here, here's, here's five things that, that we can do, right? We have the capacity to do to ensure that we're fanning the flame of intimacy with God that produces radical life, heart, and mind transformation, right? Number one. Commit to regular time with God and his word. Yeah. It seems simple. It really does. It seems simple. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It seems simple. And as, as simple as it seems to spend regular time with God and his word, how many of us actually do it? You know, there was a, there was a recent survey done by... Um, um, Man, I forget the organization that did it. It was one of the bigger Christian ones. I think it might have been LifeWay. But there was a, a recent survey done that, that noted the difference between those believers who engaged with God's word for four or more days a week and those who didn't. And it showed that 
of the spiritual disciplines that promoted the most spiritual growth, the overall number one factor was how much time someone spent in God's word. Time in his word matters. Number two, practice brutally honest repentance. Practice brutally honest repentance with God, with yourself. You got to be honest with yourself and with others. Because I'll, I'll, I'll I'll, let me tell you something. Pride and intimacy with God can't coexist. And so one of the ways that we fan the flame of intimacy with God is through repentance. Being honest about our sins and our shortcomings and our failures and our flaws and receiving his grace, receiving his forgiveness and his love, right? Number three, community, community, community. In our Western culture, we can overvalue individualism and the concept of personal faith. And so when we remain hidden or separate from the body, we don't participate in anything, we don't serve anywhere, there's a crucial aspect of a striving togetherness in the faith. There, there's, there's the crucial aspect of one anothering that is built into discipleship and your growth that you miss out on when you're not in community. Number four, you got to make every effort. What do I mean by that? The, the Apostle Paul often writes in the epistles, you'll see every once in a while when he's given instructions, that he says, make every effort. Yeah. It means that you actually have to do the work of choosing holiness. Right? Now, I, I, repentance is key. You need to repent. But there has to come a time where you choose God and righteousness in the moment. All right, y'all think, listen, maybe y'all aren't as aware as you should be, but there usually comes a moment when you're about to sin, where you pause in your mind and the Holy Spirit gives you an opportunity to choose to do something different. Listen, we, we have to make every effort to choose holiness. To choose to obey God's word. To choose to die to our flesh. Listen, it, dying ain't easy. That's why it's hard to die to yourself. All right? And then lastly, I mean, you got, you got, we, we, gotta, we have to be a, a people of passionate prayer. I love this quote by Pastor H.B. Charles. He says, there are lots of things you can do to fix your situation after you pray. But there is nothing you can do to fix your situation before you pray. Yeah. And so, so there, there has to be a sense of dependency on God that doesn't say, see, when, we, when we don't pray, you know what you're saying? You're saying, I can take care of that myself. Prayer says, I need God to take care of that. 
And so if, 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 you, if, if you need to, if, you've been, if you need to develop intimacy with God, if you feel like you're in this, a season of, 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 of not feeling close to him, if you feel like you haven't been spending enough time in your word and your, your prayer life has been lacking and you haven't wanted to get into community, if, if that's you, I, I want to challenge us that we, we've got to do some hard things. We've, we've got to prioritize some things in our lives that will help draw us closer to God. You are not going to wake up in the morning and roll over and just be close and intimate with God. Yeah. And listen, listen I'm, I'm there with you. I'm preaching to me. I'm, I'm preaching to me. Like there, like the, I don't want us to be a people that are so, that have so normalized being in God's presence and being around the things of God that it no more, no longer demands change from us, yeah. heart and mind. So I implore you, brothers and sisters, don't let the proximal closeness that you have with God and fellowship in his word to drive you to lethargy and apathy. But fight, fight, fight to be intimately close with him and his word and allow it to transform and change your life to the glory of God and his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you are near to us. Your word tells us that you're near to us. You're closer than a brother. That you are near to the brokenhearted. That you want us to come into your presence because the fullness of joy is there. You, you tell us that you want intimate fellowship with us. And so God, you're waiting for us to draw near to you. And so, Father, I pray that we would not grow tired, that we would not grow bored with the things of God, with the word of God. I pray, oh God, that our lives would not be marked by not being impressed by you and what you're up to and who you are. So, Father, we desperately need your help. Because we know we can be lazy. We know we can fill up our schedules with busyness. But we want, God, genuine, authentic intimacy with you. Because in your presence is where life is. In your word is where life is. And so, God, we're praying that through us, your name, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we get all the glory, honor, and praise. And that others would see our commitment to holiness and to growth and to standing firm on the rock of our salvation, that they might want to know who this God is as well. We pray these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now is the time of our worship gathering where we transition to communion and it's the opportunity for us to reflect on what Jesus did on the cross that the reason that we can have intimacy with God the reason that we can be brought near is because on the cross 
Jesus took on our sin and our shame. He was our substitute in our place for us. And he died so that we could be ushered into fellowship with our Father. And so when he was on the cross, or, or before he went to the cross, he was in the upper room with the disciples, and he, he said, he took some bread and he blessed it, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which will be broken for you. And as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat together. And afterwards, he took the cup and he blessed it and said, this is my blood, which will be poured out for your sins and all the sins of the world. As often as you do this, let's drink together. Family, we thank you for joining us this morning. We pray you are safe and well, and we thank you for your patience with us and uh, your partnership with us as we made these last minute changes this week. But we are looking forward to being back in person with you all again next Sunday. And so we pray that God would be with you and that you would continue to grow by his grace for his glory each and every day. And so we thank you. We love you. God bless you. Grace and peace. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.